This afternoon we're going to explore the fourth Brahma-vihara, called Upekka Brahma-vihara, translated as equanimity. And so there are these four boundless qualities of heart, these four sacred qualities of heart. Loving-kindness is the first. Then when loving-kindness comes in contact with pain or suffering, it turns into karuna or compassion meditation. That's the second. When loving-kindness comes in contact with reasons to be joyful, to celebrate, that's mudita. That's the third of these four heart qualities. And we come to the fourth of these four heart qualities, and it's called uh, upekka, is the old Indian word. And we translate it as equanimity. So this tonality of the heart, equanimity, it's a very um, settled, stable, intimate, loving heart. And the way I find my way into this quality of heart is I really have to soften my preferences, soften my preferences for how I wish things were. And I come in to offer love for the way things are. So it's its own tone of love. It's not that this one should be the only one out there. All four of these work together as a system, you might say. But this particular tone tries to uh, settle in and offer love for the way things are. And usually what gets in the way of being able to love the way things are is we have preferences. Preferences for joy or happiness, preferences against pain or suffering. So being able to still find um, a beautiful uh, heart intimacy with the way things are but not be thrown or reactive because we have these underlying preferences. The first three of these four still have um, a preference that things are good, happy, pleasant, healthy, that there's a, there's a heartache in recognition of the hardship of pain and suffering. So when compassion arises, there's a recognition that pain is suffering or pain is difficult, suffering is difficult. And the third of these four celebrates when there's a reason to celebrate. There's health, there's good fortune, something to be joyful for. And that's all that makes sense. But there still is a preference built into them for what's pleasant and positive. And a preference or an an anti-preference away from what's unpleasant. And the way I find my way into this fourth quality of heart is I temporarily soften my preferences so I can see clearly how things actually are and then see if I can rejoin intimacy with the way things are and be loving and tender there. So this actually takes a, a, a supportive wisdom that we have a human life, we have a human journey, and it's going to come with pain and pleasure. It's going to come with gain and loss. It's going to come with rises and falls. And that's, that's a true human journey. If I, if I have the preferences that close my heart when it's painful, or I'm secretly seeking what's pleasant, then I'm going to suffer along the way. And so this fourth of these heart qualities steps back into the wise view and then can connect through that view and offer a really beautiful, stable, loving kindness. I learned this maybe most um, intensely working in the hospice ward for a year and seeing that if you don't have this common preference that life is good and death is bad, but if you hold with wisdom that there is life and death is a natural part of life, then when you come in to work with people who are dying, you don't have this default setting that there's something wrong happening. Death is a part of life. And you breathe with that until your heart settles. And then you love from there. You love from the acceptance that there's life and death. There's gain and loss. And that's, that's the true human journey. 
that it goes through these ups and downs, these challenging times, pleasant times, calm times. And then you can regain your preferences through wisdom, but watch how your preferences begin to set you up again. They might set you up to start having reactivity towards experience. This tonality of the heart, um, sometimes, sometimes when I touch the pain of the world, I can't hold it with compassion, but I can hold it with equanimity. So I was working in a, this crisis shelter um, when I was in my 20s, and sometimes it would be so overwhelming, and I'd be trying to stay connected and not space out, but the connection would get really painful to connect to that much suffering. And then I learned this equanimity practice, and the phrases, uh, there are many ways in that people have found with equanimity. The phrases I'm going to offer you are simple. This is the way it is. It is like this. This is the way it is. It is like this. And I'd be in the shelter on an overwhelming shift, feeling it all, but there'd be this unexamined expression, uh, expectation, it shouldn't be like this. People shouldn't be in this much pain. And if I had that, my heart would begin to agitate in contact with the suffering. And then I learned this practice, and I could breathe in, breathe out, and say, it is like this. And then I could rejoin, I could connect. I could connect with the way things are. It is like this. This is the way it is. So it was a great place to kind of step back if I, my heart couldn't take the intensity of what was happening. I could breathe in, breathe out, find my feet under me again. And then maybe also rejoin with compassion. But it's a great, it's a great safety net behind our preferences to be able to still love and be intimate, soften our preferences so we can love the way things actually are. Now, when you do that, you're not giving a blank check for the way things are. You can still participate, but for a moment, softening that we wish things to be different. And so if we can still be tender and caring with the way things actually are. I watched my sister have five kids. I didn't watch it, but I, I was around while it happened. And the first kid, first, she was so wanting them to be happy and so anxious when they weren't. And by the fifth child, she had gained a lot of perspective. <laughs> a lot of perspective. And in some ways, there's a more trustworthy love there because it's not going to be trip up every time there's a hot sorrow. And it's not going to overly get excited when there's something to celebrate. She could still celebrate and feel the pain, but there was another part of her that t- took four previous kids to, to show her that steady love and letting there be rises and falls and that that not be conditional about the love she was offering. And I watched my, my mom and my father become grandparents and watching them approach uh, grandparent love. And so that's sometimes I think that this is grandparent love, equanimity love. It's been around the block. So it does celebrate. Oh, you've fallen in love. That's great. Forever? (laughs) May it be so. (laughs) Or, you know, there's heartache. Yeah, that is painful. And that's also the way we we learn and we grow. So I mean, it's not all calamity. I see that there's pain. But, you know, this is the way it is. And can we grow and be intimate with reality? These four Brahma Viharas work well together because if it weren't for equanimity, you'd still be growing this, this heart that would feel everything and rise and fall upon gains and losses. If it were just equanimity, it could become a little cool. It could become a little too, yeah, this is the way it is. It's like, wow, you don't feel like you care that much. Like, oh, so I like it if uh, all four Brahma Viharas are on the stage at the same time, but one leads. And if one brown of has kicked the other off the stage, it's probably starting to uh, veer off course. So if I'm in equanimity and I feel that compassion is nearby, but I'm loving the way things are, tuning into the way things are, 
That feels like healthy equanimity. It still cares, and that's why it's not indifference, that's why it's not actually cool. It's a little more even, but it still cares. That's how you tune into it and then see if you can strengthen that capacity to tolerate, to love, to be patient with the way things actually are versus these secret hopes we have that there's a way for it always to be beautiful or that all pains are misfortunes. So it takes some, it takes some ripening of our insight and our wisdom to enter into this channel and support it. Classically, the way to tune into this first is to tune into someone you don't have a lot of preferences around, like big ones. So maybe it's someone here in this hall, and you're, you're on their side, but you haven't yet developed a huge story for or against them. And then you can start to consider, this is the way it is. Their life is like this. I don't know much about them, but I can love them anyhow. This is the way it is. Their life is like this. If you can tune in there, then you bring it closer to home and you bring love to yourself and you consider the joys and the sorrows, the pains and the losses, breathe in, breathe out, and say to yourself, this is the way it is. It is like this. And see if you can settle but still care. Settle and still be loving. And you explore that, and then you move around and see if you can bring it to other people you care about. And you'll notice it's your preferences, these beautiful preferences that we don't suffer. And yet, in reality, we all visit suffering. And that's not a sign that something's wrong. It's a sign that you're alive and you're human, that we visit hard times and good times where we get, we get a mixture let's practice it a little bit and I'll let you explore that and then we'll have a chance to have some questions about it in a bit. Inviting your body to be at ease. Welcoming contentment. Ease and settledness. From that place of settledness, also welcoming in some interest, some awe in the journey we're about to take, a willingness to show up, relaxed and aware. I recommend that you tune in to someone in the hall whose uh, posture, whose face that you can settle on, and someone you don't yet have a big case for or against them. They haven't annoyed you too much. You haven't fallen in love with them too much. Just enough that you care, but already you can feel a settledness. Here's another being. They're on retreat. Little wise perspective, they probably have had challenges and hopefully some breakthroughs. Tuning into a caring heart, balanced, Then you can repeat both of these phrases or just one of them. This is the way it is. It is like this. Or this is the way things are. Life is like this.
caring and settled. You might notice, you might notice the neutrality makes your mind sink a little bit. Or you might notice the neutrality supports calm. I care for them. Yet there's not a lot of drama. And you can always return to this person. They're like your secret Santa. You can always practice equanimity for them, your secret neutral person. But I invite you to bring your attention a little closer to home and think about someone you care about, someone in your life. And again, I would start where it's easier, in a place where there isn't a strong story of pain or joy, someone you can tune into. And you can use what you know about them to appreciate their journey. They've had good days, hard days, they're having a human life. This is the way it is. It is like this. Intimately caring with a sense of settledness.
softening any, any preferences, that they be happy or healthy, and loving who they actually are. There are several ways to expand this practice. You can stay with the same being and yet open your perspective. This person has probably experienced very difficult, painful things. And this person has probably laughed to the point that they cried. They've had magnificent beautiful moments and fear, frustration. I offer you love and patience for the truth of your actual journey. You've gone through a lot. This is how life is. It is like this. You can also bring this practice towards yourself. Starting where it's easiest, maybe sitting here in the room, offering yourself loving kindness for the truth of how things are. This is how it is. It is like this. 
then you can open the scope on your own understanding of yourself, considering some of the difficulties, some of the uh, beautiful, beautiful moments of life. We've had a mixture. You know your own journey. This is how it is. It is like this. Momentarily softening your preferences that it might have been different. So that you can love how things actually are or offer love to how things are. It is like this. combination of warmth and balance. Momentarily softening your preferences so you can care for the truth. Look at the truth and still care.
And if you're feeling courageous, you can bring to your heart a place where you do have strong preferences, that there shouldn't be pain. And see if you can soften that just for a moment to allow love to contact truth. So you might consider somebody who is going through a difficult time This is how things are for right now, things are like this. And I find it's good sometimes to do a counter stretch for equanimity, to also consider that there is joy and beauty immeasurable. I go to children learning to walk, the brightness of their eyes, the creativity Picture dogs chasing balls on a beach. The beauty of the human heart. This is also how it is. It is like this. The grandmotherly or grandfatherly love. Over time, I've seen it is like this. This is honest. I can love the way things are. I can offer love when connecting with truth.
I welcome you to bring your attention just back to your own body. Resting in your sitting, lying down or standing posture. This is how this moment is. It is like this. Finding peace and love in what's honest and true. Sometimes the pacing of guided meditations don't work for you. So sorry if that movement was too slow or too fast. Just wanted to explore the territory of this heart quality of equanimity. And it's the, the loving equanimity that we're trying to tune into. Any questions or observations about that practice? You can go around. I don't think it's on. This is the way it is. (laughs) It is like this. There might be a second microphone, but I'll, I'll repeat your question. You speak up a little bit. I can tell this will be hard to repeat.
Let, let's just do one at a time. <laughs> so in feeling into the wholeness of her life, getting a sense that there were joys and sorrows and still wanting to cry some for the, the difficult aspects. As equanimity is ripening, we're gonna pass through these territories and we're being intentional about equanimity. It's like cultivation. I don't put in a seed and say, be a tomato now. <laughs> and there's a cultivation and the tomato, the first green tomato is not good to eat, but still it's on the process of growing. So you're gonna pass through as you open up to the way things are. And then as you feel through them, and there is some sorrow, you're ripening equanimity because you can be with it. And you're at least saying, let's not call this wrong, but damn, that was hard. And that's honest, that was hard. And I breathe with it, I breathe with it. And then there comes a point where, yeah, and I can now hold it. And I recognize it was hard, but I don't have this rejection of it. And I can see that was a part of life. And it's multi-layered. Uh, my niece died a year and a half ago and it was very hard, but my heart is so much bigger having gone through that. And I love her so much more than I did because I don't take her for granted. So it's not all one thing and I can breathe in all that place and the honest journey is getting into all those nooks and crannies and then ripening a love that can be, that can show up in the middle of it all. Uh, which for me does often lead to more stories and more right. controlling and more, I'm going to fix this. Right. Um, versus, I mean, is that is that the primary point of the equanimity practice is to develop equanimity for this moment versus as a process that's about soothing regret or a, a retrospective process? Um. <clears throat> So the question was about whether um, it's about soothing what's coming up for you now, um, like the, the response to what's happening. Um, I, may, I may not have gotten the total thread of what you're pointing at. Um, that just noticing for myself right now in the guided practice that um, when I focus in on um, what is challenging and what is beautiful right now, I, it's more alive and there's more attachments mm -hmm. and more opinions and all that. Um, and my question is just about, is the primary focus of the equanimity practice to cultivate the equanimity with what is happening right now, as opposed to something retrospective? Like, should I not be spending too much time, um, using it also as a tool for, um, acceptance of life's journey that, already happened. I would, I would do both and let your heart do both. Um, because what, these are boundless qualities and one of the ways that they become boundless is they, they go out through your current experience, but they also go to past and they also begin to inform future. And that's how it becomes boundless in all time and space is that there's actually a heart quality so that whatever arises, memories, plans, the current it's informed by this loving equanimity. And also just to know that um, the, the ripest heart has all four. And so it, it's a strength of heart that plays well as long as all four were nearby. So we don't wanna end up making everything about equanimity, but for time, do make everything about equanimity just to expand the, the feeling of it. But that's not then supposed to be about, you know, everything always seen through this one lens. But it's a good way to hold all the complexities and soften reactivity. Hi, I had two questions also. The first one is, um, for me, in my practice, this one was, was almost technically difficult hmm. because it, the felt sense dipped very close to apathy mm -hmm. for me. And so I was wondering if you could speak to maybe when, I mean, I, I, I hear you on the, um, this would be useful 
at potential um, times of overwhelm to really be able to connect in. But could you offer some other times when you think an equanimity practice would be kind of prescribed or, or useful? Yeah, and I think that's a that's a really interesting question. <clears throat> we the the way in is through the easiest door possible. So having equanimity with the way things are, and it's nice. It's actually kind of a settled way to stay intimate with the way things are. I find that it's this particular one saves me when I'm in a high intense situation and I and I don't know what to do. And one thing I do is I just soften my objection to the way things are. And if I do that, I feel like, oh my God, my feet are under me. It was that, I can't, it can't be like this. And that's agitating. I'm trying to solve everything because it can't be like that. So that's when I noticed that equanimity really saves me from spinning. But the, the way in sometimes, it's not, it's not that it's unimportant in calm times, uh, so I noticed that as equanimity has gotten stronger in me, I can tell the difference between uh, apathy and indifference and becoming feeling unplugged um, through the practice. And then I like it. It's like, oh, and before I add any need to this moment, let's just see what it is. It is like this. This is the temperature. My body is like this. My mood's like this. A big open field. It is like this. And let's let some preferences in. I could practice here. I could get stronger. I could build something beautiful. I could help alleviate suffering. But sometimes just to kind of set the stage, it's a nice thing. So even when things aren't dramatic, it also has a usefulness. But <clears throat> I found that when, having done this now for many years, when I really use it is when I can't, when reality is blowing me away. And so I, I'm doing this a lot with my parents who are um, aging and they're just entering some, some frailty. And I, and I feel this fear come up and I'm trying to meet them with warmth and compassion. And there's this underlying thing, I don't want them to get old. And so that's actually making it hard for me to be intimate with them because it comes with all this grief. And so sometimes I step back and I say, this is, this is how it is. And can I actually like step into this is how it is. Body is age. It's natural. Now let me go about caring for them. But I've taken out the fact that it's unconsciously fear-based anxiety. I can go, it is like this. Now how do I want to respond? So, <clears throat> um, and then bringing up the sense of apathy, um, that is the... Uh, until equanimity is strong and it takes some time to, for it to mature, in trying to tune into it, because it's a little bit neutral, it will sink a little bit. And it doesn't come with a lot of juice. It doesn't come with a lot of charge. So the, the, the juice in equanimity for me doesn't come from the optimism or the hope or the, you know, the, the overwhelm of my heart vibrating around the pain. I love the truth of it all. And so it's being able to see things clearly before I get my fingerprints all over it with what I want to be happening. Could I not do that and just look at it first? How, how is it? What is it? Oh, it is like this. Oh, that's how it is. It is like this. That's beautiful. Oh, it's tragic, but it's beautiful. And there's beauty, and it's hopeful. It's everything. Wow, it is like this. So that love of truth begins to actually and uh, expand the equanimity so it becomes powerful, the wanting to see things clearly before you get your uh, pizza sticky hands all over it and change it with your preferences. Let me look at it really. Thank you. You answered my second question because I was going to ask how it, how it related to action. So yeah. I just answered that. So thank you. And that's how it leads. It might not necessarily lead to action, but it leads to out of reactivity. And then usually the other three, for me, lead into action. They're more generative of wanting to help suffering or end suffering or create something beautiful. But they can get confused because I get attached from preferences. 
Let's see if uh, someone hasn't asked a question before. Any new voices? I found that the meditation was very calming until I got to um, my a difficult person. My aunt is currently dying of breast cancer, and so I was trying to focus on that. And I noticed that there was a little bit of a shielding, almost neutrality over the heart area. Mm-hmm. And then I w- was saying, this is the way it is. This is how it is. And then my brain would start in with, but no, I don't, I don't like it mm. like that. No, yeah. it shouldn't be this way. So I tried to calm the voice a little bit, but I noticed my body too. My hands started getting sweaty. Mm-hmm. I started getting tense. And I think I'm having difficulty with the phrase loving what is because I can easily sit and send loving kindness to my aunt and the suffering that she's experiencing or send loving kindness to myself for my suffering, but I don't love the way that it is. Right. So I'm trying to figure out um, how to find peace with that, I guess. Yeah, and that's a great question. And um, that's, that's a helpful one because I'm, uh, I'm not loving the way things are I'm intimate with the way things are, and I can offer love to the way things are. So uh, there are small, um, they're very personal sufferings, and there are large sufferings. And I don't kick back, eat popcorn, and say, I love the way things are. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, oh, this is the way things are. I can bring love to this but I'm going to first make sure I see it clearly and strengthen myself to really see it clearly. So when I bring my love in, it loves, it, the love actually touches reality versus bending it for what I wish. Um, I've, I've been very ill and it's very different when I can be with somebody who doesn't make my illness wrong. And I know what it's like when I'm with somebody and secretly being in contact with my illness is so difficult for them. They they want a solution or to be in contact. It just comes with, it's like, great, I'm glad that you see that it's difficult. And you can't actually be with it because it's so wrong. And then it's different to be around like a, a nurse or somebody who's been around a lot of suffering and they're not thrown as much by it. So then they can actually be intimate. And in no way do they say, this is, I love that this is happening, but I can, I'm not thrown by what's happening, so I can bring love in, and my love is actually stabilized. If I don't make too much of this, like, inherently wrong in a way that disturbs me, I want to, I want to alleviate the suffering. And again, the, the way this makes the most sense to me is in the hospice ward, where people are dying, and if the volunteers and the doctors are in grief, they actually can't um, really tenderly tend to people. Um, but you don't want the opposite, which is like a shielded, numb heart looking for that balance. You want someone who can care, and it usually takes a long time so that it's actually equanimity who can, that can show up in those moments around. And you, you brought it right to one of the, you know, where the heart would naturally have a lot of grief and a lot of care and a lot of understanding of the size of the suffering and that's very natural, that's very natural. If you did that many times and you kept your heart open, you could both see the suffering of it and you could see the human arc. You know, it's, it comes with this storyline and we all pass through a dying moment. And before that dying moment, we don't know what that journey is like. But it, it that's again why it's, it's a grandparent's love, it has to, be around many times so that it, the love can stabilize there. And there is a recognition that it's difficult and also a recognition that we're in a, a, a natural process, that nature looks like this. And letting equanimity ripen, and then if it's not the right heart tone, 
I wouldn't try to force it upon a certain situation, that compassion really could be the right tone. And that might really meet, help you meet what's happening. But in the sense of overwhelm, where there isn't love, it's just, it's just starting, the grief is starting to take over. One thing to do is just to take a half step back, soften preferences and say, oh, it is like this. Then I regroup and I can step back in again with some perspective. Thank you. Yeah. That's uh, all the time we have for questions. Um, grateful to have uh, shared this with you all. Um, over time, it's become uh, one of my favorite Brahma Viharas because it has held me where life has gotten overwhelming. So I'm glad to, that there's a touching base with it and uh, tasting it. And then you're welcome to practice it um, throughout the rest of the retreat and onwards if you want, uh, as much as you're interested. Yeah, um, we need a volunteer, uh, someone who'd be willing to sit up here in front of the bell, look at the clock for the 6.45 sit until uh, 7.15. And your one job is to look at the clock and then ring this big, beautiful bell. <laughs> I'll give you all a bell ringing tip. Uh, don't come straight down on the bell. It makes a thud. You want to come in at like an angle to the lip, so inside or outside, from the from the, the side, not from the top. Now you all have the wisdom, <laughs> <laughs> and thanks for that. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.